on Bills Live, presented by Kaleida Health. How's everybody doing? We're here on a Tuesday. Chris Brown, Steve Tasker with you. And uh, kind of making the shift from basically what happened on Sunday in London to look ahead to what's going to be going on here with the Giants on Sunday Night Football. Uh, first things first, not happy to see the weather is looking pretty crappy for oh, Sunday man. night. It's, yeah. Bring the rain gear. Go. Apparently it's supposed to rain like almost the entire week here in western New York. It's raining now. It is raining now. We're supposed to get night. one to two inches of rain today. That's a lot. God, thank goodness it's not That's freezing. like 20 inches of snow. Uh, at least. Because what do they say? It's one inch of rain is 10 inches of snow? Isn't it a one to 10 ratio? I, I, I seem to remember. I don't know why that's sticking that in my head. a little to me. I thought it'd oh, be. Oh, too small. Yeah. I you think it's a foot? An inch for a foot? Is that what it is? I, don't I thought know. it was 10 inches no, of snow for no, one no, inch of rain. Why am I asking? I'm Google the hell go, out of that, Google will you? this, and I'm going to find out. You figure that out. Talk amongst yourselves. You figure that out while I discuss the rest of this here. Um, because there is Bill's injury news to discuss based on some of the comments that head coach Sean McDermott made late yesterday when he addressed the media. It was after we were off the air, so we couldn't bring this news to you then. One inch of rain, 13 inches of snow. 13 inches of snow. Now, there's a bit. It, wow. The ratio can vary uh, from two inches to 50 inches for dry snow. You know, I mean, it can go depending on how dry the snow is. Wait, wait, wait. Hold on a second. The range is what? It's. It says 13 inches of snow equals one inch of rain in the U.S., although... It differs? This ratio can vary from two inches for sleet to nearly 50 inches for very dry, powdery snow under certain conditions, which would be like in Antarctic or something. Or up in the mountains in like Aspen or something. So there you go. So in the wow, U.S., that is a wide variance. Thirteen inches per inch of snow. So if we get to, I would not have twenty-six inches. I would not have guessed where you live would make the snow to rain ratio different. That is now that's something that I just learned today. Thank you, Steve, for providing that information. We are a full service show, but getting back to uh, the Bills injury news, uh, there is there are two players. Uh, on the list, in addition to the ones that came out of last week's game, we know Daquan Jones and Matt Milano had two pretty serious injuries. Uh, neither of those injuries have been declared season-ending yet. Head coach Sean McDermott said they have to find out more information on both to ascertain whether both have even a remote chance of making it back before the season is over. We know they're out indefinitely. Um both will need surgery for their respective injuries, so we wish them well on that front and hope if there is some way possible for them to recuperate and be healthy enough to get back before the end of the season that that, in fact, happens. I was looking up an advanced metric, Steve, for pass rush win rate at the defensive tackle position, and even if you don't know how to read these analytic charts, all you need to Please. know is whoever the hell is in the upper right-hand corner is the best at whatever the metric is, mm-hmm. and it's Daquan Jones by a mile among defensive tackles in the entire league, pass rush win rate. He was really playing out of his socks, and it's just a shame um, you know, that he's, bless you, that he's you. got that pectoral injury that's going to require like, surgery. You're saying if you don't know how to read those analytics. What are you saying there? You're looking at me saying if no, you don't I'm, know how to read. Look, half the time <laughs> I can't even fully – understand the breadth of what they're measuring sometimes 
I just well, know the guys in the upper right-hand corner are the best at whatever they're measuring. Right, they put those things out there a lot. You, you're getting them a lot because all the everybody in their uncle like is Computer doing, Cowboy yeah, and some other guys. Doing, they're all doing their own analytics, and it's you're right. Daquan's way up there, so it's a shame. Um, I really think they are going to be fine at defensive tackle. That is not the position I'm concerned about. The reason why is you've had Puna Ford inactive the last three games. It's pretty nice when you can pull a guy like that off your bench and put right. him in your rotation right. at defensive tackle. So this is why Brandon Bean went out and got proven quality depth for this roster. You know, Ed Oliver's not playing badly. Um, no, he's, he's little, doing pretty good in that do, area he's, he's too. In the, he's in the mix, but uh, in it was the just those rush win rate. Yeah, those are the only two guys I saw on there for the Bills at defensive tackle, but. I feel good about – look, I was very happy when they signed Puna Ford, proven starter, good run stuffer. I think he's going to really help fill that void. I'm not saying he's Daquan Jones, but I don't think he's far off. Um, linebacker, maybe a little bit more of a concern, Steve, You know, knowing Milano's out indefinitely. It's never easy to replace right. an all-pro. But you've got Dorian Williams. You've got Tyrell Dodson. And then if you want – more depth because those guys are going to play more on defense and presumably a little bit less on special teams. Did you forget who we have on IR right now who might be ready to return? Who? Balin Spector. Oh, that's right. Who's good on special teams. That's right. We've, you know what I mean? They've got like, depth there, and he's got a no, he's got knowledge about the the defense, the defense as well. He's got yeah. some experience in it. Yeah, absolutely. He's he's a perfect candidate. So to come in and, and he bolster. went on IR at the beginning of the season with a hamstring injury. We've seen him. He's working his tail off here trying to right. get himself back. It's, I don't know if he's ready to return yet, but it'd be nice if he was because we're yeah. like a month removed. You know, and I, we don't know the severity of the hamstring injury, but hopefully right. he's able to return sooner rather than later because that would be some welcome depth, and you can use him on special teams if you need one or both of those guys because both of them did play. You know, at linebacker last week in the absence of Milano against the Jaguars. So presumably one or both of them are going to be playing less snaps on special teams. So if Spectre is healthy enough to come off of IR, that would be, you know, a welcome addition to the linebacking core. Um, Young player, knows the defense, has been here. You know, I just has a proven track record with this coaching staff. So that would be a, a guy who's, if his hamstring's ready, the timing couldn't be better. Um, you know, I understand fans out there want, you know, oh, I want this guy, I want that guy, I want that guy. This team traditionally looks in-house first, well, yeah, promotes from within, and then if that doesn't work, then they look outside. Yeah, and that's the way it is for most teams because you got to have guys who know the system and can go in there and you make a play call. They don't know, they know what you're talking about. Uh, whether they play it right or not, at least they know what you're talking about, what they're supposed to do. And that takes time. It takes training camp. It takes practices it takes yeah. reps and you get a guy off the street he's you're going to be talking a foreign language to him and you just can't get it done so you always promote from within first the other good news on the injury front is the three players who missed last week's game due to injury greg Rousseau, christian benford shaq lawson all three of them were described as improving by head coach sean mcdermott and more importantly day to day I mean, we all kind of were walking on pins and needles, you know, hoping none of those three guys would be described as week-to-week injuries because that would put them immediately in doubt for this week's game against the Giants. All three of them, Rousseau, Benford, and Lawson, described as day-to-day by head coach Sean McDermott. That is good news. 
but there are two additions to the injury report, and they play the same position. Dalton Kincaid is in the concussion protocol. If you remember, he got dinged in the game, came out, got examined by an independent neurological consultant, checked out fine. Uh, and Steve, you probably know this, so I'm not telling, saying anything you don't know, but sometimes concussion symptoms will show up 24 hours later. Right. And presumably that's what happened for Dalton Kincaid. So he is in the concussion protocol this week. We'll see if and when uh, he gets back on the practice field. They have the return to participation protocol that he must now travel through the course of this week. We'll see. Players have come back in a week. You know, if it's a grade one concussion, you got a greater chance of coming back and playing the following week. But we'll have to just see how he makes his way through the week. Dawson Knox, meanwhile, has a wrist injury that he's been dealing with. It's kind of been a nagging thing the last few weeks. He's been able to play, but he also is going to be on the injury report this week, according to head coach Sean McDermott. So it's it's like I said yesterday, they really got to just triage this thing and try to manage it as best they can. And it's – at this time of year, we you know we unfortunately last last year and this year too in the early going, um, you spend most of the first half of the week finding out who's actually going to be available, and then you start preparing. Um, in a perfect world, you prepare six days a week instead of five days a week, yeah. four days a week. So, um, yeah, they don't know what they 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 still don't know who's going to be available yet. That's a problem. Right, that's a real problem. The other thing is for the second straight week, the Bills fortified their ranks at the cornerback position with a practice squad signing. Last week, they signed free agent cornerback Herb Miller to their practice squad. This week, they signed veteran Josh Norman to their practice squad, age 35, played two games for the Carolina Panthers last season. Obviously, he played here in 2020. I believe he played in 12 games for the Bills that year. So... I understand it. You know, you're looking for a veteran, knows the system, doesn't need a lot of schooling on it. So you got him in reserve there on the practice squad. People are going nuts on social media. Bills fans saying, well, he's 35. They're not putting him on the field on Sunday, people. They got this guy as veteran insurance. We've seen them do this before at other positions. He's here on the practice squad. He's veteran insurance. If He is, in case of emergency, break glass type of guy on the practice he's squad. He's not right? going to he's here to help him prepare, not play. Um that's why he's here. He'll he'll acclimate in, he'll be in, you know, guys will know him, he's he'll fold in, he's a culture fit, all of that stuff. He's just here to help him prepare. I, they Herb Miller will go in before um he will. So, yeah. That's you can just bet on that. So that's you got to have bodies to practice. You got to yep. have bodies to play. You got to have guys to go, and and a guy like Josh Norman could come in and and contribute mentally to the young guy, guys like Herb Miller and guys like you know Cam, Lew, all these guys. Um, he'll help those guys get ready to play and have something to offer them um, without actually ever even having to take a snap in a real game. That's why he's here. Yeah. So you're going to have presumably. I mean, I'm assuming by the end of the week, you will probably see Milano and Daquan Jones on injured reserve, which would then open two roster spots. If I'm guessing, and I am guessing, I would think the call-up at corner, if they feel one is needed, would be Jamarcus Ingram, who dressed for last week's game as a practice squad elevation. 
Otherwise, you're bringing in a linebacker to fortify the ranks there. Because if Benford's healthy, then you don't need the extra corner. But we know Milano's not going to be healthy anytime soon, so maybe the addition is at linebacker. And, you know, if Balen Spector's healthy, I would expect it to be him. And then on the defensive line, you're going to get an open roster spot there. Do you add a corner because you have Puna Ford and, you know, you're covered? Or do you feel you need to add somebody like a Kendall Vickers, who was a practice squad elevation last week? We'll have to wait and see. Those are some decisions that the coaching staff and the front office are going to have to make in the span of the next four or five days. So we'll have to keep our eye on that. Um, you know, I know fans out there are talking about, ah, oh, we, we should acquire this guy. or let, Pump the brakes. Let's just see how this roster does. You know, it's not dire straits yet. It's not good. You lost two all-pro defenders in Tredavious White and Matt Milano indefinitely. And you lost a defensive tackle who was playing better football from a pass-rushing perspective than any other defensive tackle in the league, according to the advanced metrics. That sucks. I mean, don't get me wrong. <laughs> That's awful. But uh, you, you sign guys, proven veteran players, to have in reserve. Now they are being called upon. Let's just see how it looks. Um, they've got, yeah, I mean. Puna Ford, I mean, that guy would be starting on 12, 14 other teams in this league. Yes, he's a good player, a really good player. And we saw him, he played very well in the preseason, as, and too, and in training camp. You and I were watching closely at those yeah. guys up front. It's tough to I was to a move. little surprised he was, he's been inactive with the way he, the camp he had. Yeah. But these guys are playing, the guys were playing outstandingly ahead of him. So what, what are you going to do? But you talk about that they, they've got four, uh, they've got a defensive end, they got Cameron Klein. They've got yeah. If they feel they need another yeah, pass they've rusher. got uh, Kendall Vickers who was up this last week, and those are the only defensive linemen they've got on the practice squad at the yeah. current time. They got four corners: Herb Miller, Josh Norman that we've been talking about. They also have Jamarcus Ingram and uh, Kyron Brown as well. And interestingly enough, uh, all those guys, with the exception of uh, Josh Norman, they're all six two. I mean, that's kind of – they've got some traits. Think they want to um, type? Yeah, I think <laughs> they do, right? So yeah. um, I think they've got it lined up the way they want for these guys and they're and parachuting into the lineup if they're indeed needed. But, you know, that, that game last week was – I mean, <clears throat> it's the topic of discussion because it looked like literally every single play you were losing a gigantic name. Um, when Milano went down and – Daquan Jones went down. It was in the same series of downs. I mean, it was like boom, boom. And then also, uh, then you got uh, Kingsley Jonathan hobbled off. Leonard Floyd. Leonard Floyd hobbled off. I mean, this was all within five minutes. I thought it was like a joke. Yeah. Now, those guys, you know, obviously, um, Jonathan comes back in. So does Floyd. But Floyd's not right. He's, he's He was limping around after the game. I mean, yeah. that, it was bad. I mean, it's really bad. And that's – unfortunately, we all know. I mean, that, that's the one thing you can't control as a GM, as a head coach. Any, you, it's a roll of the dice. A roll of the dice. And we were talking today. We were looking around the league. Bills aren't the only ones. A lot of guys around the league on every roster are, are dropping. A-chan. Yeah, A-chan's out indefinitely. Indefinitely in Miami. Um, James Conner, the running back for Arizona – out indefinitely. 
The Jets lost starting right guard Elijah Vera Tucker on their offensive line for the season. That guy is a good player. I mean, he's, he's arguably their best offensive lineman on the whole team. Gone for the year. So, yeah, it's uh, unfortunately it's that time of year where it starts to you start to it starts to take its toll. Early on, everybody's got a plan. It's like Mike Tyson. Everybody's got a plan to get punched in the mouth. Everybody's getting punched right now. A lot of teams in the league, and it's uh-huh. that time of year where your plan A has kind of already been tested in the first month. Now you're getting into the second month. It's like okay, now what do we do now? And you start looking around the locker room at guys who you didn't think you're going to have to depend on, and Amazingly, some of them start to look pretty darn good. So I'm glad we've got you. We'll see. Yeah, we'll see. But that's where we're at, and it's which is why we're on the topic we are today. That's right. Topic of discussion today. In case you were wondering, what is the best way for the Bills to adjust following the rash of injuries? Maybe you don't think they need to do anything. Maybe you just let things settle out. See how the guys who you have to plug in and play fare. You know. This week, after a full week of preparation, some of these guys came in on the fly, not getting any reps with the other starters. You know, now give them a week of preparation, see how they look in practice, and more importantly, see how they look Sunday night against the Giants. And maybe you might find you don't need to do anything. Right. You might be all right or better than you anticipated. Right. And you you look around the league and you know that there are some teams that are in the same boat and you're in a race with, with all of them. Right, that could be the other side of it. But you let us know at 803-0550, the number to get on board. What is the best way for the Bills to adjust following the rash of injuries? Uh, we'll, we'll, we'll zip around the league if we have some time. Um, you know, mention some of these players that are injured. Justin Jefferson, another one, hamstring, went on IR. You want to talk about a crusher? That's a bad one. Whew. So we'll get to some of those when we get a chance. But we want to get to the phones because we got some people waiting there at 803-0550. do have an open line for you, though, if you want to jump on board. We lead off today with Mark in New Jersey. What do you got for us, Mark? Well, good afternoon, gentlemen. Thanks for taking my call. Sure. Um, I'm on line with you guys, and, and they, they've drafted Dorian Williams in the third round for a reason. You know, a lot of fans were clamoring him for him to start. They got bummed when they found out he was going to back up Milano and not be in line for the middle linebacker spot. I mean, you can argue Kyrie Elam was their best corner in the last quarter of last season. You, 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 Benford had the oblique after he had the hand. Trey hadn't found his footing yet, was, wasn't confident in himself. And, and I think Dane even got benched for Kyrie at one point because he started getting picked on in the, um, the Lions game. I know uh, uh, Amon Ross St. Uh, Brown really took him, to, took him to the cleaners in that game. So I feel like what they have, I mean, you mentioned Puna Ford, all the guys, this was a laundry list of injuries. They have enough depth to absorb this, and everybody wants to you know, tell. You know, Patrick Sertain and all these other guys, you know, knee-jerk reactions. I have a quick question also for you, Chris. Um, Kincaid cleared concussion protocol in the game, but he's back in it. How does that work exactly? Is it just because it's automatic if any guy has some sort of head, he enters it again during the week, or I don't know the procedure for that. Yeah, from what I understand, you know, he clears protocol, So he, and thanks for the call. He clears protocol so he can play or get back in the game by an independent neurological consultant. My guess is this. I don't know this, but this is my guess because this is what I've seen in the past with some of this stuff. They come into work on Monday after a Sunday game, having been cleared, as was Kincaid's situation, and he's experiencing concussion-like symptoms. 
So they examine him, run a baseline test, and make a determination because, as we said at the top of the show, sometimes concussion symptoms don't show up until 24 hours later. I remember Carlos Williams when he was here with the Bills. He had a big game, took some monster shots in the game, was fine after the game. I I even talked to him after the game in the locker room, and he was fine. The next day, we find out he's in concussion protocol because sometimes these guys wake up the next day, right? And it takes 24 hours for those symptoms to surface and be readily noticeable. All of by the player as much as the athletic training staff or the medical staff. That's what happened to Tua last year in the Cincinnati game. He goes down, plays the rest of the game, and doesn't play well. Comes back the next day, and he can't remember some of the snaps he took. Yeah. Um, and he goes right into the and that was it. That was it for him for the season. So. It ha- it, sometimes you don't understand the symptoms until you have a minute to collect yourself and you sleep on it and you get up in the next day and you have symptoms. You have, and, and there's, a, there's a list. It's not just one thing. It's not just a headache. It, it's a lot of stuff. And so um, that's one place where the league is doing better. And I think it's in the culture they have here, I'm pretty sure guys are pretty are encouraged to report that stuff. You know, it used to be – you know, say nothing, do nothing. Yeah. You know, if you had, if it was bothering you, you just gutted it out until the weekend and hope you were better by the weekend mm-hmm. and I'm going to go ahead and practice. Now they don't do that. And it's obviously better now. Let's get back to the phones and to Joe in Williamsville next. What do you got for us, Joe? Hey, Chris and Steve. Thanks for taking my call. Sure. Uh, uh, Steve, first of all, uh, do players uh, that are on IR, do they still count toward the cap? Yes, they do. Once the season has started, any player on the 53-man roster, IR list, even the practice squad counts against the salary It's your top 51. It's your top 51 salaries. So if Matt Milano is presumably one of your top 51, he would count on the cap. That's sort of a double whammy, isn't it? Well, a little bit. Um, the team insurance picks up his eight about, I think it's about 80% of his salary. So the team literally in terms of dollars doesn't incur the cost, but the cap remains the same. If that makes sense. Okay. Uh, the other thing, uh, as far as the best way for the bills to adjust to following the rash of injuries, I agree with you, Chris, that we should wait and see how things pan out. The next two games, I mean, the Giants and New England, uh, they're not, they don't appear to be that strong, and this will give us a good measuring stick as to you know how the defense is going to perform before we go ahead and make any drastic, uh, drastic moves. And then the uh, one thing that I wanted to uh, mention is Tyler Bass. I want to give kudos to him because when they kicked that onside kick, I thought, well, this is a shot in the dark. There's no way that the Bills are going to have a chance to recover it. The way he kicked that ball, that ball bounced up in the air, and we had a stab at it. I mean, yeah. we recovered that ball. I mean, uh, he's a great field goal kicker in that, but, I mean, that was just a, a great onside kick. Yeah. Anyway, thanks, guys. Sure yeah, thing, Joe. Yeah, it was a textbook onside kick. I mean, Steve can speak to it better than I can for obvious reasons, but, you know, it got the hop that you want right when you want it, like to jump over that line of yeah. the hands team. Ba- yeah. They just couldn't get to the ball fast it's, enough. Yeah. It's, hard. it's a roll of the dice. You don't know, I mean, even the guys covering the kick, you practice it some, and sometimes it goes good and sometimes it doesn't. And, and it's just, you know, you can imagine it's a 
you're talking fractions of an inch where the thing bounces the right way for you and the timing's got to be right it's it's a real crapshoot to try and recover an onside kick um and the advantage is totally on the receiving end of it you know for the team that's receiving so all they could you could jump up and bat it clear out of bounds and it's their ball still so Mm -hmm. um yes you know at that point there's been about a million things leading up to an onside kick that you can win the game that would have won the game for you instead of this onside kick, and this is the one that has the least chance of working. That's that's the situation you're in with it, and you kind of got to live with it. But sometimes, I mean, it's been a long time since I've seen somebody get an onside kick and it led to the winning score. Yeah, but that's the idea. Yeah, because it's only like a fifth. What do you got? Fifteen percent chance of getting it? It's something it's, like that. It's, it's very 10%. low. Ten percent. It's a lot higher than 10% when it's a surprise onside yeah. during the game, like in the third quarter or the second quarter. That happened. Kick off at second half. Right. That's, you know, you get a much higher chance of getting it then because usually you've scouted it. You got a weak, they've got a vulnerability that, that you've seen that they've consistently done. You take advantage of it when they're not expecting anything other than a regular kick. Mm-hmm. That's, that changes it. But a staged onside kick? Really hard. Yeah, I. Yeah. Um, Joe did mention, and I mentioned it in the top of the show here. I'm inclined to kind of stand pat, see what you have. You know, I know people weren't thrilled with Kyrie Elam's performance last week, but if Benford is still not fit enough to play corner, I would put him out there again. Um, the only reason I say that is he gets thrust into the starting lineup last week, and I'm not trying to be a Kyrie Elam apologist. But I think when you go from your last live action is week three of the preseason to week five of the regular season, you're talking six weeks since you've played live Bullets football. I think that's a tough adjustment to just jump in and play well. I would like to think with another week of practice after playing last week, he would be better this week. Now, if Benford's fine, start him. Fine. I, you know, I get it. But if not, I would I would put Elam out there again. I really would. One thing is, and, and you've we've talked about this off off the air. Where do you think Kyrie Elam's his skill? They had him playing off coverage and man stuff, and his skill set is to play up and bump. The problem is, usually, well, hundred percent of the time, you're not playing on an island out there. I mean, you're you got safety over the top, you got safety help over the top, and you say, well, don't don't give him say well. You don't want to leave him on an island with Calvin Ridley. You got to give the guy some help. The problem is you've got to have five other guys in the secondary that are playing the same coverage as he is. So you can't just say Kyer do your thing and the rest of us are going to do this because what'll happen is they'll flood the zone that Kyer vacates when he's playing man to man and all of a sudden there's nobody over there because yeah. you're all playing this other coverage. You've got to have f- f- in this case five guys in the secondary, three corners, two safeties plus the linebackers who can all do the same thing and it's and you fear all these for Kyer apologists for him to come in and say let's let him play his game well no <laughs> you got to play the game that all the other five guys are playing as well that's the way it works and you can say hey let's just go zero coverage and man up everybody well you know not everybody's up to that you know, you gotta have, you gotta then then you gotta have three guys that win man to man, or four guys that win man to man, or five guys that win man to man with somebody with five eligible receivers on the offense. They all gotta win then. So you can't and you can't play the same coverage all the time. So 
you've got to have guys that can play a variety of skill sets. And if you don't, it limits your options mm-hmm. as a defensive coordinator. And that's when you start to become vulnerable. We have to take a break here, but more of your phone calls when we come back. We're asking you, how would you adjust following the rash of injuries with the Bills here? You let us know at 803-0550, Stephen Amherst leads us off when we come back here on One Bills Live. Stay tuned. We're gearing up for the Huddle for Hunger food drive on Tuesday, October 17th here at Highmark Stadium from 4 to 7 p.m. Fans and schools from the area are encouraged to organize their own Huddle for Hunger collection and bring their items to the stadium. Bills players Latavius Murray, Deion Dawkins, and all the rookies expected to be in attendance. The top three schools who donate will be recognized at the October 26th game against the Bucks and receive a tour, tailgate party, plus tickets to the game. Hey, now. So maybe get your collection going at your own school, and then you bring in the most items or finish in the top three, you're, you're in business. So be on the lookout for that, or maybe get started now. October 17th is coming up fast. It's a week away. Yeah. So uh, get rolling if you want to get that organized at your school for a chance to win tickets and get recognized at the Bills-Bucks game, which is Thursday night game, if I remember right. But let's get back to the phones at 803 one eight 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 five fifty two five fifty. The number to get on board is we are asking you what is the best way for the Bills to adjust following the rash of injuries. Maybe you don't think they need to do anything, but if you think you'd like to see them try to fortify the roster in some way, or maybe change their approach offensively, defensively, etc., you let us know at eight zero three zero five fifty. Back to the phones, and as promised, to Steve and Amherst to lead us off this segment. What do you got for us, Steve? Steve, you pretty much answered my question with. Kair Elam, but I was wondering still if it would be possible if you still did Elam one-on-one and then run your regular zones and try to cheat somebody who's a good cover man like Terrell Bernard a little deeper in to help him out. I don't know if that hurts us bad. My second question real quick, and I'll hang up, is can we stretch Kincaid deeper down the field? Thank you much. Okay. Thanks, Steve. Appreciate the call. Um, I'll let Steve handle the question you asked him. Um, yeah, you can combo coverage a lot of th- – you can do a lot of things. I, um, and I, I would trust Sean McDermott to know. But my point was a minute ago that if you, if you put Kyrie Elam and, and you let him play the way he wants to play or the way his skill set best wants him to play, the other guys in the secondary have to – kind of play that way too they have to do it that now if you're going to tilt the whole field and say listen no matter what happens we're going to let Kyrie do his thing and we're going to play around him and his skill set and the rest. well you're asking the entire defense you know to, to cover up for the guy when you could probably do it easier just calling a different coverage look Kyrie played within the framework of the defense last year it's not like he hasn't right. done it before right I just think he needs more snaps yeah I would say some more snaps after not playing for six weeks and <clears throat> yeah, I, I'm, I'm yeah, and it I'm, might and it might be a moot point anyway because if Benford's healthy to play, we know he's going to start. So, I mean, either way, yeah, you know what I mean. Like, I just I don't think Kyrie Elam was the reason the Bills lost last week. Now, certainly he could have played better, and he gave up some some yeah. throws, some catches. I mean, he had like eight targets and six catches. That kind of I don't know. Uh, we'll never know how many targets 
would have been there if I, Elam didn't have the guy covered up either. They might have gone 12 targets, and he scared them off of six throws too. Uh, you never get credit for that. Um, it's Yeah, it's a tough question because you're down ostensibly, and, and no matter how good Kyrie Elam turns out to be, right now he was the third outside, fourth outside corner. Fourth. Yep. Um, and he was inactive. And he was inactive for those weeks. It was it was Tredavious, it was Christian Benford, and then it was Dane Jackson. And right. then you got Kyrie in. So I don't know what you you know, if it was somebody if it wasn't for his draft status, nobody would even be looking sideways at him. So I and he's got some ability, but there are other guys in that room with ability too. There's a ton of guys in the league with ability. You gotta play well. Um I don't think they ha- they could be totally dismissive or unhappy with the way Kyrie filled in. I don't think they are. I think it, they they would put him in again in a heartbeat and expect him to play better. I think he's we've seen him Brownie and I have seen him working hard to get better. He's he's grinding it. Uh, wants to get on the field. He knows what it, he knows you know what the score is and why he's not in there. They've been brutally honest with him. He knows better than we do. And he said all the right things after the game on Sunday when he didn't play his best. Right. He said, I still think God has a plan for me to help for me to help this team win football games. That's right. And so I you know, I, I'm not I I'm ready to go. I'm I think this team still wins games with these guys I do in the too. back end. So I'm uh, you know, how they play him, what they play him, I could never begin to tell you what coverages are best for him or where he plays best or what his skill set is as akin to all the other guys that are in the room as well. I I'm not even gonna get into that. But I know this, you got a game against the Giants coming up, and you're going to need him to play and play well at times at least. So, um, like we said, at this point of the week, we don't even know who's going to be available. Right. He may be cornerback one by the end of the week. You don't know. Um, so until that sorts itself out, this is all kind of a moot point. Back to the phones at 803-0550, Got open lines for you there. To Joe in Olean next. What do you got for us, Joe? Yeah, I was just wondering um, how you guys felt about bringing in, like, maybe Landry or Julio Jones to help Diggs out with uh, Gabe Davis' struggles. Um, I, I, don't, I don't know that Gabe Davis has struggled. That seems a little strong for me. I mean, six catches for 100 yards last week in a losing effort, granted. Um but he's had touchdowns in each of his last four games. He's producing on a weekly basis. He had two touchdowns in a row this last week, one of which got called back by a a penalty we never got to see. A, a penalty that didn't that Well, you didn't, didn't see happen. it because it didn't yeah. happen. Yeah, the, the offensive <laughs> That's why you pick, didn't see uh, it. Come on. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, I'm Yeah, I'm not down on Gabe at all. No, neither am I. Um if if anything and Coach McDermott and Coach Dorsey addressed this yesterday when they talked to the media. They agreed that they would like to incorporate more people in the passing game in a more productive way on a weekly basis. Now, that's easier said than done because ultimately the quarterback has to go where the coverage dictates he should go with the football to make the play. Gain yards, stay on the field, and stay in favorable down and distance. Sure, there are ways you can scheme things up to maybe dictate to a defense at times, but there are a healthy number of times where the defense is going to tell you where to put the football. And it might be to the guy that's winning the most. And to this point, that's been Diggs. Right. And there are a lot worse people you could go to than Diggs. Yeah, sure. And uh, I'll say this, too. Up until this last 
game, this la- this um, Jacksonville game, I'm looking around, and, and you and I have – I don't know that I'm totally putting this on, like, these guys, this offense totally – and all of a sudden forgot how to play offense. Defensive well. I mean, you know the defense went through the injuries and stuff. They still held them to 25 points, gave up the one explosive play at the end of the game when they were kind of gambling. I, I get that. And they're dog tired. They played, a, they played a great game defensively, a game you should have won on the other side of the ball. But on offense, I don't think these guys forgot how to play or all of a sudden no. were exposed as frauds by the Jacksonville Jaguars. I think there's a lot of reasons for for why they played poorly. You can say what you want, jet lag, whatever. Uh, good game plan or quick pressure by Jacksonville, whatever it was, I don't think this team all of a sudden became a bad offensive unit. Uh, And coming into the game, there was no reason to think they needed to go down to their plan C, D, and E, you know, because plan A, B, and C were stymied or A and B were stymied, you know. So we had talked about How's this team going to find different ways to win? They couldn't. They didn't do that this last week, and now I think that's as con- disconcerting as anything. The fact the Bills couldn't find a way to win a game where you got to feel like they they were the better team mm-hmm. on a game when they where they didn't play their best for whatever reason they were jet lagged. They were the surface was bad. They had guys that they were counting on to play key players gone. All of that stuff goes into the mix. Yeah, okay, all of that, but you got to find a way to win that. And let's face it. Like so many of the losses they've had, and really virtually all regular season losses they've had, they're like one play away. You just need one guy to make a play. You need somebody to turn it up the field and get the first down. You need somebody to catch the third down pass instead of drop it. You need somebody to make the block, make a cut, make a guy miss, and they couldn't do it. That's the disconcerting part about the whole thing because you had all these guys with some opportunity to contribute, and so many of them, from Khalil Shakir to Kincaid to Gabe Davis, that you know, so many of them are like oh, Dawson. Everybody was like, ah, James Cook. Oh, you know, all of them had a hand at some point in that game where they dropped a pass or couldn't make a guy miss. All of them. So. That's the disconcerting part of it. They had some answers, and the guys just failed to an- just failed to write down the answer. I mean, that's why ninety eight percent of the time, when a team does not perform up to snuff, it's usually nine. I would say almost ninety eight. And I don't have hard stats to prove this, but it feels like the vast majority of the time, it's an execution issue. And to a great degree, it was an execution issue on Sunday. Let's go back to the phones and to Steve and Tanawanda. What's up, Steve? Hey, Brownie, Tasker, how are you guys doing? Doing all right. What do you got for us? Uh, just real quick, uh, everybody's uh, – yeah, it's concerning a little bit about the defense, but, look, I mean, we went in shorthanded, two backup cornerbacks, then we lose our two – I mean, we lose Milano, then Jones, uh, and the defense played stellar. I mean, what do we hold Jacksonville to 11 points? Yeah, until the fourth into quarter, until yeah. late halfway through the fourth, yeah. So, and I mean, the lack of offense is going to happen. We talked, you guys talked about it last week. Can they sustain what they've been doing on offense? You want them to, but no, they're not going. I mean, it's just, Tasker, you played back in the day when you guys had the best offense going, right? And what did you guys, your best record might have been through 13 and 3, 12 and 4 most of the time. You're going to lose games. You're not going to, you're not going to play perfect. 
Osiris didn't have his best game as a pro. He's a rookie. He's been playing stellar. He, the whole offensive line as a group, I don't think, played bad, but they just had blown assignments and got him out of the running game. And the three and outs on top of the penalties, putting them down first and 15, um, the three and outs killed them because they were shorthanded on D as it was. Those guys just got exhausted. Yeah. You could see it in the third quarter. I mean, ETN just, the, the couple he busted off, they, they didn't have nothing left in the tank. I think if the offense goes, they're going to come out this week, and I think they're going to be able to run the ball against the Giants. I think they're going to get back in form. You sustain a bunch of drives, eat up some time, give your defense a rest, and that defense is going to look better. You're going to have a pass rush that is going to help cover up the little quirks that we got going on at quarterback right now, I think. I'll hang up and listen. All right. Thanks, one- Steve. Appreciate that. Sorry if I cut you off there. I didn't know if you had one more thing to say. But, um, yeah, I, the, let's just see how it plays out here this week and next week with the guys you got. As Steve always says, this offense has plenty under the hood. They just have to execute at a higher level. And for three weeks, they were executing at an extraordinary level. And they kind of came back to the mean last week where, you know, they were just out of sync on some things, missed on a couple opportunities, didn't complete the play on some others. And those things add up. And you played a Jacksonville team that probably played one of their more sounder had one of their more sounder performances of the season after stinking it up in week three against the Texans and having a lackluster performance against the Chiefs, managing only nine points. So every team has those weeks. You'd prefer they don't surface, but in this case it did. Now what are they going to do about it in response the following week? And even though they're down a couple of pretty important players – Let's see what shakes out first before you make knee-jerk reactions trying to address the roster or your play calling or your scheme or anything like that. Yeah, I um, you know give the give Jacksonville some credit, no question. Um, it's just yeah, we we see it every time the Bills suffer a loss, which you know hasn't been that often uh, in the regular season in these in these last five or six years. Um, and this is a team that not only gets to the playoffs, but wins a playoff game every year as well. They just can't get that one, ne- that next step or the next step, you know, right. a couple of steps. Uh, when you, and that's, and it's games like this, I think, that kind of can compare, can prepare you to be better in tough moments. Um, you know, these last three weeks, I mean, they rolled their helmets out there and just walked off with it. I mean, against all three of those. I mean, yeah. The Raiders, the Commanders, and the Dolphins. The Dolphins, for crying out loud. Um, so, yeah, there's no reason to think this team had any business putting out, putting a, a game together like that, particularly offensively. Break time for us here. DJ and Lockport will lead us off when we return as we take more of your phone calls here on One Bills Live. Stay tuned. The Buffalo Bills are partnering with Highmark Blue Cross Blue Shield to use CrowdSync synchronized LED wristbands for a pregame light show in Highmark Stadium. Wristbands will be placed on seats prior to Sunday night's game against the Giants. The blue light-up wristbands will be synced to the stadium lights as the team introductions 
take place. Also be sure to check back to Highmark Stadium Twitter later this week for an instructional video from Steve Tasker on how to use those wristbands. Ooh, interesting. Who? What? <laughs> Where'd you call me? Let's get back. <laughs> let's get back to the phones uh, at eight hundred three hundred five fifty and to DJ in Lockport. What's up, DJ? Hey. Um. So first off, the biggest thing I take away from the season so far is that I don't want to necessarily say the Jets game might be the, the one outlier, but it takes a lot for this team to just lose by five points. It's a lot. And it takes a good team in order to take advantage of the things that do go wrong for them to pull off the game. I feel like this team's good enough to where if we play a low-leader squad, you know, the 52 hours prior to game kickoff and losing Milano, and I think we still win by, you know, 18 points to a low-leader team. But Jacksonville, they got a team over there. They know what they're doing. They got a hell of a coach now. So I don't, I don't really like – I'm not going doom or gloom with this loss. Again, it takes a lot to beat this team by five points. But, again, I, I hate to be that guy, but this game, we've seen a lot of times, you know, a lot of teams have seen it as well, but there was seven different discretionary flags that were thrown at third downs for the Bills. Six, four Jacksonville on the Bills third down that extended and completed drives and would halt drives. And I, a lot of them, you didn't even see the camera angles because they didn't show replays of them. Like, yep. I'm not saying this is a conspiracy. I'm just saying – that was a crap officiating game on top of it. I feel like if it was a little bit more equal, it might have even been closer, and we might have been kicking the field goal at the end to win the game. But just a lot – it takes a lot for this team to lose by five points against another good squad. So but we are going to make this up. Things will be better. Like, there's no doom and gloom. So I'm still seeing us lose, you know, three or four games this year, and this is going to be one of them, unfortunately. So I'll hang up and listen. Go Bills, and you guys have a great day. Yeah, yeah thanks, I think it, you're it, – yeah, DJ, you're far too coherent and lucid to be calling in our radio show. <laughs> I'm, <laughs> I'm with you. You're I, overqualified. I'm, yeah, I'm totally with you. You're right. It took a, an outstanding effort by Jacksonville uh, and a lot of all the stuff that you mentioned, uh, discretionary flags, penalties, uh, tur- you know, all that stuff uh, for the Bills to lose by five points to a really good – to a playoff team from a year ago, uh, a team that won a playoff game a year ago. Um, it's – the Bills are still a tough out, even when they were hampered by, it, and, you know, right after the injuries happened, when they got these guys just thrown into the lineup where they didn't even have a week to take all the reps, none of that. They just got thrown in there, here we go. And they still held them to going into the second half of the fourth quarter. They had held them to 11 points. And the offense just, you know, were just missing. You know, drop passes and penalties. And a couple of the penalties – I'm telling you were phantom penalties. So, um, yeah, that that conspired as well. So, you're right, DJ. Bills are the – with the exception of the injured players, of course, the Bills are still the same team they were when they hung 48 on the Dolphins. But they played – they did not play well. But they – that's still in there. Uh, It's not like they forgot how. It's not like they aren't trying. It's not like – Whatever events led to them playing as, as poorly as they did are going to be different this week. Now, they, that doesn't mean they're going to be better, or what, but it's going to be different. They're going to be in their own building, in their own beds for the entire week. It's a home game. It's a night game. It's at the, uh, a finger quotes, normal time, prime time game, instead of a 2.30 local time in London and a 9.30 local time in, in, on the East Coast. All of that stuff, 
all this is going to be different this week, so you have an expect your expectations should be different. Hopefully, they'll play more like who the team they've shown they've been over most of the last month. But we'll see. Yeah. We got to take a break here because when we come back, hour number two will begin with our weekly visit from ESPN analyst and former NFL QB Dan Orlovsky. He'll lay out what he saw in Sunday's game against the Jags and prep us a bit for the Giants, who are struggling on both sides of the ball. He'll give us answers as to why when we return. Here on One Bills Live, presented by Collider Health, it's Buffalo Bills Radio. Presented by Kaleida Health. All right, hour number two on a Tuesday can mean only one thing. Our weekly visit from ESPN analyst, former NFL QB Dan Orlovsky, whose segment is brought to you by Ellicott Hotels. Fans, round up your family, friends, or co-workers for a fantastic game day experience at 500 Pearl. Reserve your pack and book your group event today at 500pearlbuffalo.com. Dan, how are we doing this week? Tough one for the Bills out there in London. Uh, I'm doing really well. Good to see you guys. Yeah, it, obviously tough. You know, the travel, um, the way the game played out, the injuries. Mm-hmm. Uh, again, kind of the headline story, unfortunately, two weeks in a row. So uh, tough game. Jacksonville Bills, a good football team. Hopefully those guys can get well. Yeah, and it, interesting, too, because the Bills offense just never really found itself until late in the game where they kind of went no huddle, had – you know, and the, and Jacksonville was up two scores with you. You know, and the Bills yeah. made some hay. And I got to ask you, as a former quarterback, when you're in there and you're trying to get things started, the Bills come out on their first third down, and they they drop the first third down conversion right at the. I mean, the guy's going to take it, turn up the field, he drops it. The next third down, same thing. He catches it, turns up the field, and instead of dropping the shoulder and plowing his way for the first down, he kind of gets run out of bounds, short of the sticks. They punt again. How? You know, slow starts kind of mean something, do they not? Oh, they certainly do, and certainly against a good football team, you know, and and one offensively where you know they have firepower in Jacksonville, whether, you know, they scored 40 or didn't, they still have firepower at the skill position. So, you know, when James drops that first third down, it's, it's, man, um, you never want to start that way because then that gives you another, you know, it's – Another three downs. What what could happen in that set of three downs? And and the slow start. I've I've seen that they didn't travel till Friday, and and I've seen people complaining about that. Um, you know, I, I've played out there twice, uh, and we went out there once on a Sunday night, maybe our Sunday night or Monday night. We were out there for the whole week, and um, we went down twenty one nothing. You know, and we ended up winning the game on a game winning field goal. Um, we played out there another time. We went out for the whole week. The team that played us, the Kansas City Chiefs, came in on, 
I believe Friday, Friday afternoon, and they beat us like 41 to 14. So um, I don't know how much I put into that. I don't know. Uh, but the slow start definitely just didn't allow them to really find any rhythm offensively. You uh, have obviously been a big proponent of play action. It seemed like there was less of that in Buffalo's game plan this past Sunday because their, yeah. their percentages have gone down in that area. And actually, when they went to it, they did have some success. I mean, they could have had a 90-yard touchdown if Josh puts it on digs. I realize that's not an easy throw 50 yards yeah. down the field, and you never want to overthrow him. That's the last thing you want to do. But, you know, Diggs has to wait on that, and it's only – I say only. It's only a 50-yard pass play. But why do you yeah. think they moved away – I guess the question here, Dan, is, is there anything a defense does that a OC might see on film – that would steer them away from play action, or was it just a conscious decision like this is what the plan is going to be this week? Yeah, I think they only ran it four or five times. If, yeah. I, if I'm right, I think they were four for four or five for five or something like that. Um, so to answer that question, I think really the only thing that shows up defensively that would scare or, or hesitate a play caller from diving in and using it as much as they maybe have in the past would be if there were certain fronts that stress that play action protection or a person in that play action more than they want to. Um, now Buffalo, you know, the play actions that they've been using haven't necessarily been, it's not like, you know, in a San Francisco world, sometimes the tight ends have to be a part of their play action protections and that's when Brock Purdy gets hurt in the NFC title game, he's blocking an edge rusher, a tight end is. So, but that's not necessarily what Buffalo and, and Ken have done over the past couple of weeks. So I lean not towards that. I mean, really in play action protection, it's, it's, it's more safe, you know, now you're moving a little bit and if you get beat inside um, or you get beat early, that's a problem, but that's the case for drop back protection and well, as well. And it's not like Jacksonville does a ton of unique fronts on early downs. Like sometimes Jacksonville would get into a five-man front. That's their base early down five-man front with about five defensive linemen across the line of scrimmage. But I don't think <clears throat> that Buffalo's play-action pass protection is intricate enough where that would scare them away from it. So okay. I don't necessarily know why they didn't do it more. And I don't think that there's a ton – from a defense, unless they're an overwhelming, like overload pressure unit that would scare you away from doing it. What do you think was missing from Buffalo's offense Sunday? Yeah, I mean, definitely. We just talked about a little bit was way more play action. You know, they, they just didn't live into that world. And then they didn't generate a lot of the, the chunk pass game world. And, and not only that, you know, I think we touched on this last week, guys, is if you watched you know, we're, I'm talking about this today on NFL Live, this second level, meaning like that linebacker level, right? That five yards off the ball level of Jacksonville's defense was downhill in the run game. And we hit last week that not only putting Josh under center and running play action was, you know, great for them because it helped their protection and Josh could drive the ball downfield and it allowed Steph time to work on his routes because that's his superpower. They had become a top three run team when they would put him underneath and run the football. That wasn't the case again. And, you know, if you watch Jacksonville's second level defenders, when they're trying to gun run the ball, it's downhill hit downhill. Hit. And so 
they lost that element of their offense as well. And so <clears throat> I just think um, kind of reverting back to that and not even expanding it hindered them a little bit, and they didn't gain any type of explosive plays outside of one or two, and and one of them was that play action to Steph. So um, it, it, it just forced a higher level of efficiency, and that, that didn't happen. All right, so spinning it forward to the Giants here in Week 6, I know the Bills, even despite last week's game, are still second in the league in point differential behind only San Francisco, you know, who's been wiping the floor with people lately. The Giants are are the on the complete opposite end of the spectrum. They're minus 91 after five games, Dan. Like, it's 31 yeah. more points than the Broncos in terms of net yeah. point differential. That is... I mean, I know they were struggling, but that's just stunning to me. After five games, they've scored three points in the first quarter all season. We know that Daniel Jones has come under fire. He's actually gotten injured, too, and is a little bit iffy for this week. Do you, I, Just break it down for us offensively for them. Yeah. Is this more a byproduct of Jones' internal clock is completely – shell-shocked from all the pressure that he has received. So is this a protection issue, or is it you know Daniel Jones not letting it go and trusting it issue? Yeah, it's, it's probably – it's more of a protection issue, and it's gotten worse as the weeks have gone on. And then it's the, the quarterback isn't one of those guys that can overcompensate or overcome some of the protection issues. Last year, the success of the Giants came from really two things, at least specifically to the offense outside of Saquon's performance. They did a great job of prioritizing protection. You know, they would have seven-man, eight-man protection, and they weren't super explosive on offense, but Daniel didn't give the ball away. They stayed ahead of the chains. They were very efficient on offense, um, and then they would hit a chunk here or there. And they never panicked. Daniel wasn't in moments of panicking with the football because he had to think too fast. That hasn't really been a foundational piece of this year. I don't know why, but that hasn't been the case. And the second thing was Daniel was a problem solver. You know, like he did a great job last year of, you know, I got a problem with protection here. Get the ball out. Or I got a problem with the coverage here. Throw the check down. And it was a very boring offense in many ways but it was what was necessary for them to have the chance to win. And they did. And this year that's gone away. And um, I don't know why schematically they got away from some of the protection stuff. And they've dealt with injuries on their offensive line. Yeah. I, I'm very shocked that they haven't played. They've played as poorly as they've had on offense. You know, their left tackle has been hurt. The right tackle hasn't played to the level that they want their left guards been hurt. So they've been down some, some guys. There's no doubt about that. And then Daniel, just, you know, you wanted him to take this leap this year because the offensive line would be healthier. And they got Darren Waller and they drafted a player named Jalen Hyatt out of the University of Tennessee, who's a speedster. And, you know, Wandale Robinson, who's their second-year player out of Kentucky, is there. And so they got more talent. And Daniel's just not that player. He's a good player. He's just not that player. And um, it's kind of been a snowball for their offense. So if, so how do the Giants – How do, what's the scenario where the Giants walk into Buffalo Sunday night football – and beat the Bills. I mean, how it seems as though the and we've talked about it at length. When the Bills get beat, they help the opponent. Now, certainly they didn't do it with turnovers or anything, but penalties yeah. hurt in this last week. They they were flat. They couldn't you know drop passes, the untimely drops, not being efficient on offense. How do the Bills help the Giants this Sunday night if the Giants are going to win this game? 
Yeah. So I'd say like the Bills would have to be really poor tackling, you know, just because the, the Giants will, will, I would imagine, do everything they can to get the ball out quickly, given the pass rush that Buffalo still is showing. So get the ball out quickly and try to get completions. You're playing against a zone-heavy defense in Buffalo. So they'd have to be really poor tackling on the defensive end um, and and allow the ball to get over their head with a, a Jalen Hyatt. But they haven't really tried that, Steve. You know, it's they, they haven't really tried that. So I think defensively it's just like can, can they make sure that they tackle really well because their defensive line should be able to have a ton of success against the Giants' offensive line. And then I think offensively, you're going to see man coverage. Um, their pass rush has been okay. It hasn't been as good as expected. They will throw some unique coverages uh, at you. They had a pick six off Tua last week, but that was a little bit more of a Tua thing. You know, if you remember the interception that you guys had, Buffalo had against Tua when he's trying to throw the seam route is a very similar kind of concept where they didn't look at Tua's eyes. You know, they just kind of stayed to where their landmarks of the defense. And so, um, you know, I, I don't think that their defense was like uh, this takeaway defense. And then two or through another ball where miscommunication for another interception. So Josh will see some man coverage. He'll see some unique coverages. He'll see some unique pressures and blitzes because I would imagine they'll try to take the ball away. So, you know, if, if Buffalo plays their level of football, um, I'm not even saying like their A level of football, but like their – their winnable level of football, whatever you want to categorize that is that they should handle New York. Uh, does anything change if for some reason Daniel Jones cannot play with the neck injury and Tyrod goes in? Bills fans are all too familiar with Tyrod, but within the scope of the Giants offense, does anything change if Tyrod gets the start Sunday night? No. You know, Tyrod, you know, Daniel's a really good athlete. Tyrod's a really good athlete. Tyrod's seen a ton, but he's not necessarily this get it out, you know, um, style of quarterback. So I don't, their their offense doesn't change that much. They they use a little bit of the quarterback run with Daniel. They use a little bit of the zone read with him as well. So stylistically, you know, maybe, maybe Tyrod would be more willing to try and shoot the ball downfield a little bit more, but stylistically that they, they won't be all that different. So as you see this game uh, going forward for the Bills, um, certainly they didn't forget how to play offense this last week, and certainly the J- Jaguars are no pushover. Um, yeah. What do you see around the – now the Bills, you're right, have been decimated by injury. What about the, mm-hmm. the teams and, – and I guess every team does it uh, – what do you see as the you know prognosis for a team that's got to overcome all this stuff, stay healthy? You know what I mean? Acclimating guys who are not expected to play now they're playing, now they're starting, and you may have to make some, you know, some different decisions yeah. about your style of play as an offense or defense when you got guys in there that are different talent level. Yeah, I don't think offensively there's a ton of concern right now with with injuries. I think defensively and. You know, these these are like the never fun comments and or conversations. I always get, you know, kind of stuck with this stuff, Steve. We're not stuck with it, but, you know, because big time players will get hurt. And I hear will often hear people be like, oh, they'll they'll be okay or they can survive. I don't necessarily subscribe to that a ton. You know, like Tredavious White is a highly paid corner for a reason. Matt Milano is a highly paid linebacker for a reason. We, we you don't you you don't just like replace those guys, and there is going to be an impact of them not being there. You wouldn't pay them if there wasn't. And um, you know, 
I think that the burden of their defensive line is going to go up. And I don't know what Jones's health in long-term prognosis is, but the, the burden of the defensive line is going to go up. Um, you know, Buffalo probably plays a little bit less man than they were, were and they weren't obviously playing a ton of it. But, you know, players like Elam and, and Dane have to step up and become more consistent pros. And are they capable of that? That's going to be the big story, you know, through this season for Buffalo is will those players that weren't expected to be in those roles be able to play at a certainly winning level? Um, and then as you get down the road, man, it's going to be can, can this offense, you know, once they get into the playoffs, because I believe they do still absolutely can this offense carry them and can Josh carry them? And if they can, and that other side can be complementary enough um, with some of those losses, I, I still think it's a, a really bright future. Last one I got Season for you. Wise. Yeah, last one I got for you, Dan, and I know we'll talk more about this next week because it is Buffalo's Week 7 opponent, but it seems like the stuff has really hit the fan in New England here. Um, three points in each of the last two weeks. Matt yeah. Jones has been benched each of the last two weeks. Um, it, it doesn't look like the cavalry is coming anytime soon to help the New England Patriots. How how bad is it? Uh, it's bad. I, I would I would say it's probably the worst place in the NFL to play quarterback right now. Um, you know, bluntly put, it's the worst pass protecting offensive line in football. It's the worst group when it comes to guys who can get open in football right now that's that's the, what the tape says that's what the numbers and stats people say as well so it's it's bad um I, I asked this question the other day who when who was the last new england patriot drafted in the offensive skill group that became like a really good player like like i'm not talking all pro or pro ball just a really good impactful player I think I go back to like James White. You know, Ramondre Stevenson looked really good last year, but he hasn't done nearly what he did last year this year. And so it's a bad situation in New England right now. It's it's not a good roster, um, and it's it's a tough watch on tape. It's a tough watch. Yeah, well, you know what the word schadenfreude means? It's a German word. It's a German word meaning you take great delight in the mistro- in the troubles of others. And but Bills fans are sitting right in the middle of that, watching <laughs> New England absolutely, enough, <laughs> absolutely ignite in flames. It is so delicious. Dan, thanks. For, enough, uh, thanks as always for the time. We'll catch up with you, you next week. Thanks, guys. All right, that's Dan Orlovsky, ESPN NFL analyst, former NFL quarterback, breaking it down. Yeah, he did an in-depth uh, breakdown of the Patriots on social media on his Twitter handle. Um, I guess if you want to soak up more of that New England misery, have at it. Um, I mean, that's why I was shocked, Steve, when, you know, I looked at the numbers. I knew things were bad with the Giants and their offense because I hear it from some of my high school buddies a lot downstate. Right. Like they're lamenting, like, oh, Daniel Jones can't get any protection. This is that, blah, blah, blah. But I'm like, all right, they got problems, but – not like New England, but New England you look at three it. Three points in the last two games. In each of the last two games, right? They have been the two worst losses of Bill Belichick's coaching career. And they got a win against the Jets, scoring 15 points. They won the game 15 right. to 10. Right. Um, 
Yeah, I mean, and on the season, New England is minus 76 in net points. The Giants are minus 91. Now, that's due in large part to the 40 to nothing loss in week one to the Cowboys. But still, the Giants have scored three points in the first quarter this season. Yeah, that's not, that is not good. Um, the Saints lumped up New, Engl- New England last week um, 34 nothing. They lost 34 to 3, or 35 to 3, or 38 to 3. 38 to 3 to the Cowboys. And Mac Jones got benched in each of the last two games, and I hate to say it, I'm going to be the last guy sticking up for Mac Jones, but as Dan just said, their O-line is horrible. Yeah. Horrible. Yeah, they lo- even even the the guy we – Cole Strange, the guy they drafted number one, he's on IR. He's not even playing, and yeah. he's the guy that was – and he they miss him, and he's the guy that everybody was laughing at him for taking him so high. In the first round. In the first round. He was a third-round talent. Sean McVay said, ah, oh, we we're going to look at him at 101. Right. So <laughs> Pick 101. He was, he was I mean, he was half in the bag, too, because right. they didn't have any first- or second-round picks. He but was taking night one of the draft. Off. Right. So that's – you know, they're, it's, they're in a bad way. They're in a bad way. It's rough. But I guess it's um, – I guess in some respect, not that you'd hear this from the Bills locker room or anybody on their coaching staff say this, but I think for Bills fans, that's why I'm just – thinking even in spite of all these injuries let's just let's just relax pump the brakes a little bit they're playing two opponents that they should beat even with their current roster beat up so let's just see how things materialize with the guys that are filling in the next couple of weeks with the Giants here at home and then on the road against the Patriots next week and and just kind of sift through some of the guys you got to plug in and play for some of the people you lost to injury you may be pleasantly surprised right if these next two games are a struggle to win, okay, maybe it is time to reassess. You still have time, you know, before the trade deadline or to see what's out there. But I would just say your front office built this roster with proven depth. Let's see that depth prove itself this right. week and next week and see where you are. Right. I, and I'm, I'm – That's totally not out, there, outlandish, I, is no, it? No, because I – you and I – I think you and I are maybe in a different spot than a lot of Bills fans are because we're sitting here. We, you and I have sat here and watched this team take shape from new guys, at training camp, walkthroughs, OTAs. Remember, they're out here playing tug-of-war in May, remember? And we've seen it take shape, and we've seen all these guys. And, and I've got a great deal of curio- and enthusiastic curiosity about watching guys like Kyrie Elam take another step, Dorian Williams. Um, I can't imagine where Dorian Williams' head was when he got into the game this last weekend. Uh, and I know people say, well, he's on the team. Listen, you, you go in, you get plugged in, where you're not expecting you're to You're asked in. to replace Matt Milano. Right, go. You're in the middle of the NF, in an NFL's number one defense, and let's go. Yeah. He, was, he was moving so fast. Um, I'm, I know his adrenaline kicked in. Oh, through the roof. Through the roof. Um, and I, I can just relate so much to it. So some of these guys are going to need to take a deep breath and say, okay, no, you know what? I belong here. I'm going to do this. I'm going to play well. Let's go. Because uh, Dorian Williams was overrunning some stuff during this game. I mean, he got, he, he got pulled That's out. That's why of, he missed some tackles. He was going crazy. Um, so, I, you know, you got to give the – 
He was around the ball. He was a yeah. He, he was just seeing make it. The tackle because he was thing. going 180 miles an hour. He was seeing it all. He was there. But man, oh man, he was like jumping out of his skin. Yeah. So if you can just get that guy to put a lid on it for just a minute and harness it, I you know he may be a guy. He may come out and impress us just like uh, Bernard has. Mm-hmm. So I'm. I'm really curious about that, and and I think Khalil Shakir, same thing. He's got to settle down and and, fit and settle in. This week will be a big test. If he has to play a lot this week, I I sense he will feel different. I don't, whether he plays differently or not, I don't know. He's going to feel differently. You know, he's going to be there and he's going to have a minute. Um, same thing with all these these young guys. Kingsley Jonathan. I would put it on the whiteboard. I that guy is going to be a name Bills fans are going to love here in the near future. I, he is playing ext- when he gets reps. That guy shows up. Uh, so guys like that, um, this team does have some really intriguing guys that I'm really excited to see play. Um, now, you know whether they go out and, and it all blows up in our face on, against the New York Giants, it may because it's they're not playing in a vacuum. But uh, there's a lot of fun reasons to watch these young guys get on the field. Break time for us here, but happy to take more of your phone calls in terms of how you think the Bills should adjust to the recent rash of injuries, if at all. 803-0550-1888-550-2550. We'll take more of your phone calls when we come back. And take a look at the tweet sheet. Got to crack that open here before the show's over. One Bills Live, presented by Collider Health. It's Buffalo Bills Radio. Buffalo Bills and AdPro Sports are teaming up to award varsity head football coaches with the Coach of the Week Award, Week 6 winners in the Buffalo Region Section 6. It's Josh Brooks of Portville Central as he led the Panthers to a 21-13 win over Falconer this past weekend to improve to 5-1 and on the season and clinched a playoff spot in the process. Section 5, the Rochester Region Coach of the Week is McQuay Jesuit High School's Bobby Bates. After the night's 24-21 win over Hilton Friday night, McQuaid is now 6-0 and tied for first place in double a each coach of the week winner will receive a one thousand dollar grant from the buffalo bills and ad pro sports let's get to the tweet sheet which as we know is brought to you by corrigan moving systems the official equipment moving company of the buffalo bills where we are asking you how will the bills adjust and overcome the rash of injuries andrew says well don't get injured which is hard not to do in this league I can't remember a season in the NFL where I've seen so many injuries out of every team. So they just have to find ways to stay healthy. That's how they're going to get through it. It's an interesting answer. Uh, Just don't get hurt. Uh, Easier said than done, as he said himself. Jeremy says, this is probably the hardest question in years. The only thing they can do is hope the depth is as good as we all hope and think it is. I can't say I was really upset with anyone on the defensive side of the ball Sunday as they hardly had time to prepare to be starters. Yeah, I, I said on the show yesterday, if you had a problem with the defensive performance in that game yeah, last you're not week, paying I, I think you're yeah. barking up the wrong tree. You're not paying attention. That Certainly, they could have played better, but they played well enough to win. The, it's the offense that couldn't move the football yeah. consistently. got off to a slow start. That game changes dramatically if the Bills play half as well as they did the week before and – and can get a couple of scores in the first half rather than, you know, struggle. Um, you know, this is a team that should have had a, a touchdown a quarter in that game. 
and could not do it. And if they do that, it's a much different football game. That you know that, yeah. Despite all the injuries on defense, that's not what the problem was. No. which is which is stunning to think about. Yeah. Daniel going old school with his answer here. He says every team deals with this, and the Bills have been one of the more healthy teams over the past few years. Now it's time to see what they're made of. No excuses. Next man up. Yeah. He's right. He um, is. Last year was probably an exception to that. They were injured last year as well to a great degree. But uh, two years before that, for the two years, they were often not injured, the most healthy team in the league. And they yeah. were making hay as a result of it. So um, you can say what you want uh, and blame it on whatever and, and not accept it. But you, you gotta, if you want to dig down at what the root cause of problems are, there's always good reasons for it. Um, Sometimes you don't like the answers to that. Bill's News Consolidated says majority of the injuries have happened on defense. Knowing the higher potential for other teams to score more points than in previous weeks now means we should try to be more aggressive offensively and defensively. That is the question. Like, does this offense get more aggressive because they feel they may need to score more points to post victories? Or does the defense get more aggressive because they feel they need to accumulate more splash plays to make up for the deficiencies of talent on their starting 11. I don't think either side is going to change until they get into yeah. a game where I would one side of the demands. They can play they, your game. And- they don't decide, finger quotes, that that's what they're going to be from now on. Yeah. They get into a game, and then they pull that out of their toolbox to use it if they need it whether to go more conservative defensively or more aggressive defensively and vice versa for the offense, whether they go deep and start throwing it all over the joint or to go three tight ends and start handing it off all the time under center, that kind of stuff. So you don't – you're thinking about this, you know, in a way that, like, you have to make these decisions now and then live with them. You don't. Mm-hmm. You, an NFL team is ready to win in multiple different ways. It becomes more difficult when players that you can count on in those situations are injured and you have to depend on somebody you're not sure about. That's the difference. So how that plays out remains to be seen. We have to wait and find out because we don't know anything more about these guys than, than the coaches do, and they don't know enough yet. Matthew on the tweet sheet says, basically be more effective on offense because I think it would help – put less pressure on the defense. I mean, there's no doubt in anybody's mind that the burden of last week's game fell largely on the defense um, because of the struggles that the offense had throughout the course of that game until the latter stages. So too much of the burden fell on the defensive side of the ball to hold them in the game, and for the most part, they came through in doing that. But by the end of the game, they couldn't handle that burden anymore. Um, And it's ultimately why they lost. So, yeah. More effective offense would certainly help, and it would reduce the burden on the defense, which, as we know, will be shorthanded for the foreseeable future. T. Bieber says, I think we hit a stretch where the offense can carry us, hopefully. If they can put points up, it'll give our defense room for mistakes. It's the best way to learn, in my opinion. It's an interesting take there at the end. Yeah. Steve says, I think the defense already adjusted to the injuries during the game on Sunday, and they played well. The biggest difference this week is they can coach up the next man up and be even more prepared and adjusted for this game. To your point, Steve, Dorian Williams, for example, if they decide he's going to be the starting will linebacker, he's going to get all the snaps in practice Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, 
and be ultimately more prepared or significantly more prepared for the game on Sunday than just getting thrown in halfway through the yeah. first quarter and say, go get them. Plus they can, yeah, coaching them up from what they did in the game this last week will also help them. They'll say, listen, well, here's what you're thinking. You're, because the, the tendency, is, and I'm not saying this happened, but I'm, it seemed like it's always an issue. Young guy gets in there, he feels like he's got to make it. If he sees it, he's got to make every play. So they're running around like, you know, a rocket ship just jetting off into whatever part of space they want to go to whenever they see a bright light, right? No. You've got an assignment you still have to carry out. Even when the ball's going over there, you've got to take the right angle and take the right gap because if it cuts back, it's your play to make then. you got to trust your guys are going to make the play at a point of attack in the run game. That's why run defense is working. That's why they're so good in the NFL. These guys are disciplined. If it's your play to make, you make it. You don't try and make somebody else's play because when you overcommit, all of a sudden there's nobody where you're supposed to be. Yeah. And a guy like Barry Sanders, you're looking, you're looking at his nameplate on the back of his jersey. He's gone. And everybody in the league is good enough to do that to you. So you learn quickly to stay disciplined. And I think some of these young guys, man, they, they were seeing it so well. They were, <laughs> I'm going to make an amazing play. Watch me. And that's what they do. It's like, yeah. beep, beep. And they, you know, they take off like a roadrunner and, you know, it's just too much. Yeah. Let's get back to the phones at 803-0550. We go to Jason on a cell next. What's up, Jason? Hey, Chris and Steve. Thanks for taking my call. Sure. You bet. Hey, I just wanted to commend Steve uh, on using one of my favorite words, schadenfreude, as it pertains to the Patriots. Mm. And just to put the cherry on top of that uh, nice, delicious cake we're all enjoying this season, um, Chris, I think you said they scored three points in each of the last two games. Yeah, I was wrong about that. They got shut out last yeah. week. Yeah, they scored three points in both of, in those games combined. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, two, which two which I have no problem with being wrong on that. That means they scored even less. So I'm yeah. happier. Right. <clears throat> two of Bill Belichick's worst losses uh, in back to back games. So you know we we do have some problems here in Buffalo with the injuries, but I think we'll get through it and. Uh, Living in Rio, I'm I'm kind of enjoying what's happening to uh, Patriots Nation right now. So that's that's almost enough for me. Yeah. So thanks thanks for the show, guy and Steve. You're doing a great job representing former football players, pulling out words like Schadenfreude. There you go. (laughs) That is the fifty cent word of the day. Thanks, Jason. Appreciate the phone call. Let's go to uh, John on a cell next. What do you got for us, John? Yeah, I was just wondering. I don't want to beat a dead horse, so to speak, about this jet lag thing. I know a lot of people see it doesn't affect them. It does affect them. But watching the game Sunday, you could basically tell that some of the players, not most, but some were walking around like they were in a zombie movie. Now, I'm wondering if not focusing on the game because they're not 100%, I wonder if that would cause someone to get injured that normally wouldn't because they're not really focused. And I know what jet, jet lag is. I've been overseas several times, and I felt like a zombie when I was there. And then when I came back, I felt like a zombie. So I'll hang up and uh, listen to you guys. And thanks a lot for taking my call. Yeah, sure thing, John. I, I'll say this. If, if we saw a lot of muscular injuries, I'd be inclined to at least hear your theory out. But, I mean, Matt Milano's injury is an injury we see all the time in football, unfortunately. He got rolled up on his leg on the end of a play, and 
that has nothing to do with the travel, the playing surface. It's a football play that happens, and unfortunately guys get injured on those kinds of plays. Usually it's linemen that get those kinds of injuries more than anything. He's just in the wrong place at the wrong time, and his foot gets caught under a pile, and he can't pull it out in time, and he's got a major leg injury because of it. Um, Daquan Jones, he has to dive at the ball carrier to make a tackle. The back half of his body is airborne. The running back changes direction as Daquan Jones wraps him up with his arms. His entire backside of his body goes swinging around the body of the ball carrier, and the last thing that's hanging on to him from Daquan is his one arm. So now you've got 320 pounds swinging with centripetal force, and all of that force is on his pectoral muscle. That has nothing to do with jet lag, right. the playing surface, any of that stuff. Again, it's a football play that we've seen happen before again. It's just too much force on one muscle group in your body, and it gives. It's just going to happen. That's football. So I, I respectfully disagree with the theory. Um, certainly there's, you, there's evidence that when they come out flat, uh, and it will manifest itself in a lot of different ways, penalties, drops. Um, lack of concentration. Lack of concentration. Um, and, and when it happens like it does to like groups of guys, you know, like a bunch of guys dropping balls, a lot of guys you know, getting penalties, the offensive line not as sharp, and getting allowing more pressure quicker on on Josh Allen, uh, you know it just it, it manifests itself in the ripple effects, or you know you can call it whatever you want. But it, the slow start, I think, and I think one of the things too is you get off to a slow start, and then you feel like you've never gotten started. So you're you're always stuck in that first gear of the game where you're trying to like all right let's. You know, you don't even know enough about what you can do in this game yeah. because you've dropped passes so far you can't even get on the field. You can't stay on the field. So um, the game got away from them. There's just no question about it. And I, th- I think that's, you know, kind of the frustrating part about the whole thing. Break time for us here. Some final thoughts on the tweet sheet when we return here on One Bills Live, presented by Kaleida Health. It's Buffalo Bills Radio. Ticketmaster is the official ticket partner of the Buffalo Bills. So, Buffalo Bills season. To, sorry, I got logged out of my system. I don't have the sponsorship read in front of me. So, what do you want me to do? I did my best on that. Wait, who is uh, it? I don't have it committed to memory. Which, which, which? Yeah, they are the presenting sponsor of the 2023 season. So, Ticketmaster is the official ticket marketplace of the NFL. There you go. So gotcha. that was untimely. My screen goes black as we're coming back, and I have to log it back in. Couldn't do it what fast enough. Do? Stuff happens here on the show each and every day. We're usually able to hide most of it from everyone, <laughs> but not in that instance right. in any way, shape, or most form. Most people don't know the fragility of I was completely of hosed the content there. that we put out. Unequivocally hosed. <laughs> uh, some final thoughts on the tweet sheet. I can bring that to you. Mark says, we have an extra third-round pick. So we'll have to use it to acquire help this year. Unfortunately, those injuries are long-term. Must be willing to part with a third. So the Bills currently have a third-round pick. They're expected to get another in the compensatory pool 
by losing Tremaine Edmonds in free agency, that's a you better be getting a pretty darn good player if you're doing that. Yeah, for sure. Um, I don't think you have to do it now. I would see how the next two games play out with the people you have in reserve already. Brandon Bean built this roster with talented, proven depth. Now it's time for that depth to step to the forefront, and let's see what it can do here in these next two games. You may find that you don't need to do anything, and now you have an extra third-round pick to utilize in the spring to fortify your roster for 2024. So and I think Steve's in agreement with me on this. Just hang out, let the next yeah. two weeks play out, see if the players that you're plugging in who know this system backwards and forwards actually demonstrate improvement over the next two weeks from after being thrust in unceremoniously last week into the lineup. Right. Ron on the tweet sheet says, there, isn't, there aren't many options other than to trust those on the roster. I actually believe the linebacker won't be as much of a disaster as many believe. As long as the D-line continues to play well, it'll keep the linebackers clean and able to run and make plays. And then finally, Jeff says, make a trade for a good corner. You'll need him next season as well with Trey out of the equation. We'll have to see what the equation is, but I think that's a little tough to project right now. Yeah, that's a little premature to be thinking about next year, next year. Um, <laughs> so let's, you know, let's just let's worry about the Giants right now, and then we'll think about everything else that comes. You're going to have some guy. This We don't know what this is going to look like yet. We'll yeah. find out. We'll uh, have comment from Sean McDermott to bring to you tomorrow, Wednesday show. We'll see you at 1.